0: now over to pastor Steve
1: probably one of the most important purposeful attitudes that we have to embrace in a successful Christian life and we're at that stage especially in American history that every single thing in our culture in our society is trying to attack this specific thing. You are not allowed to be a grateful, thankful person in this nation. The universities pay people hundreds of thousands of dollars a year to teach you that you are in a systemically racist country filled with terrible, evil white men. You are Uh, economically oppressed and repressed. You have come from the wrong lineage. Your country was founded by liars and and cheats and abusive people. Your government is broken, and you will never be successful. Your lifestyle is not what it could be if we got rid of all the evil people, which is everybody. Your spouse is terrible and you need to trade them in, get you a better one. Your job is terrible. You need to trade it in, get another better one. Your church is terrible. You should just quit it altogether because you ain't going to find one that's good. The high schools, Grade schools, kindergartens are teaching the exact same thing. If you don't believe me, you can go to a school board meeting and find out that they are teaching these very things to our children so that our children can grow up to be ingrates. Ingrate is a real word. It's not just a thing that you throw out as an insult. It means that you are a person of ingratitude, an ingrate. and some of you have legitimately grown up in hardships and by legitimately i'm saying that obviously there is a a comparative way that you have to do that because even though we grew up super poor uh trailer courts and mobile home parks and we went days without food and hand-me-down clothes and and praise God we didn't have to take a bath every day. That was awesome. Good times. As, as terrible as that would be for maybe some people in this room, I'm telling you, I had an incredible childhood. Incredible. We never lacked for kids to play with. We never lacked for stuff to do. We never lacked for mud pies and throwing dirt clods and playing stick ball. And laughing and burping and farting together and doing all the stuff all day long and then dang it the street lights would come on. And you'd have to go home. And sometimes you'd like find the long way home, even though you know you might even get beat for it, because it was life and it was it was meant to be lived. And You probably are not going to wake up tomorrow unless you really let my message get into your heart. You're probably not gonna wake up tomorrow and you're gonna say, man, thank you, Father. You love me. I live in the most prosperous time, literally in human history, in the most prosperous nation ever. I have a church that authentically loves me. I have a savior who died for me. I have food, I have clothes. I have all the necessities of life. Thank you, Father, that I am a zero one percenter of all people that have ever lived on this earth. And because I'm saying this now, some of you are probably like, "Uh, maybe some of that is true, or maybe even there's a little twinge of conviction, but you're, you're able to push it away because you're very aware of the things that you lack. That is tactic number one of the enemy, is to make you focus on what you don't have. That was sin number one in the garden. Adam and Eve lived in perfection. Perfection. And some of you have probably never done this. I have, because I've been a terrible person. But if you're the devil, and you need to make humanity become your slave, and the way that you had to do that was to get them to rebel at their creator, how would you do it? Now considering the humanity that you need to rebel is in a perfect place, they have perfect bodies, they have perfect minds, they have a perfect environment, they have no needs of any kind. They don't even know what the word need is. You can't tempt them with adultery. Some of you will catch up on that. You can't tempt them with money, power, control. They already had everything that was possible. What would you tempt them with? What could you bring? Dissatisfaction. Dissatisfaction. If you think that your satisfaction in your life is contingent on what you do or don't have, you have already positioned yourself for the enemy to do it to you what he did to Eve. And I, for one, have a responsibility, I believe, as, as a shepherd here to do whatever it takes to make sure that you are not positioned to be devoured by a lion, a wolf, or even a wolf in sheep's clothing that comes along and says, you know, you could have something just a little bit better and ask you to compromise to get it. Dennis Prager, who is probably one of the most influential Orthodox Jews that are alive today – I think he actually will go down as one of the most influential people in history – says, the two things that God most wants people to be – good and happy – are unattainable if one is ungrateful. You cannot be good, you cannot be happy, and ungrateful at the same time. You cannot be a bad person, and you cannot be unhappy unless you are an ingrate. A good and fulfilling life is inextricably bound to gratitude. Your quality of life, your quality of happiness, and and this drills down to the most minute of details, if you don't like your marriage... I can, I can tell this story because I was traveling. I was at another church and, and the pastor actually told me a little something about what was going on because a person came and asked me for some ministry before service, and then I ministered, and then after service, the same person came back up and they wanted, they wanted prayer for their spouse, basically their terrible spouse, Worthless, terrible spouse. Um, And this only works because the pastor gave me some backstory, because he'd been kind of dealing with the same situation. and, And the story, the backstory was, this person who wanted me to pray for their terrible, lousy, wretched spouse, because they weren't as spiritual as they wanted them to be. They weren't doing the things that they wanted them to do, living the life that they wanted them to live. And this person that asked me for a prayer had gone through drug addiction while in the marriage. Any of you that know, any addicts that have been a part of relationships, addiction destroys every part of a person's life. And this husband, it's a wife, and I know I'm trying to, but this husband stuck with this wife through this addiction. This wife went through multiple bouts of hospital uh, going into the hospital for things like suicide attempts and overdoses and things like this, this husband stuck with her. This husband never stopped working a job, always provided for the family, the family always had food, always had a place to live, always had, husband never cheated on the wife, husband never became an addict, he just wasn't very spiritual. And what got me about this, and I actually told her, I said, what got me about this is, you know how many women I've prayed for in the tens of thousands of people I've ministered and had, how many women I've prayed for that would die to have your husband? Just someone that would stick with them the rest of their life and would provide for them and would love this husband, adored his wife. I talked to him later on. He just, he talked glowingly about this woman. And I was like, man, if you knew what she just asked me to pray for. And it, and it was like this glaring example with this woman that no matter what this husband would have done, no matter what it was, he would have never achieved what she wanted him to be. Ingratitude dissatisfaction. I went and visited that church years later, and guess who was divorced? And the husband was in the church. Anything you are ungrateful for, you will eventually lose. Anyone you are ungrateful for will be eventually lost to you. So if you're ungrateful for that thing you got, if you're ungrateful for that person that's in your life, don't worry your pretty little head. You'll lose it. You'll lose them. They'll go away. And there are a lot of people that I know that have lived their lives generally this way. And they are lonely, destitute, old people. And it would break my heart if anybody in here made that their course of life, that you want to eventually be lonely and destitute because nothing in your life is good enough for you. All bad people and all unhappy people lack gratitude. A life of Christiformity, which is a theological term, which just means that we are, our lives are being conformed to the image of Christ, Hebrews or uh, Romans 12, 2. Christiformity is what the goal of all of our lives are, is to be conformed to the image of God. In fact, in Genesis 1, when we were created, we were created in the image of God. Our job is to bear the image of God to this world. We are image bearers. Christiformity is becoming the fullness of that image. And in a life of successful Christiformity cannot be achieved without Gratitude. Consider for a moment that Jesus, every time he addressed the father, he addressed the father in gratitude. So he could come here, take on a baby's body, go through a world that hated him, devalued him, didn't recognize who he was, rejected him, argued with him, and then eventually killed him. He was thankful to the Father for the opportunity. He was forever the example of people who have the proper mentality, the proper attitude towards life. I promise you, scouts honor, I promise you, you will experience pain. You will be betrayed. People will not value you. You You'll be rejected, you'll be belittled, you'll be made fun of, even on social media. And you will have the temptation to be ungrateful for your terrible life. I'd encourage you to resist that temptation. In Deuteronomy 28, I'm gonna start a little heavy, but we'll, get, we'll be okay at the end. <laughs> Deuteronomy 28, those of you that know the scriptures well enough know that Deuteronomy 28 is a very famous passage in the Torah. This is the place where God declares over the children of Israel, just prior to them going into the promised land, what will happen if they choose right versus choose wrong. In fact, Deuteronomy 30, 19 is where it says, I place before you this day, life or death, blessings and curses. It's all in that same genre of scripture. Deuteronomy 28 is one of the longest chapters in all of Deuteronomy. It goes to 60, 62 or 65 verses. And the first 15 verses is if we live the way that God intended for us to live, if we follow his law, follow his commands, follow his ways, then all of these blessings will be multiplied in our lives. And then there's a transition verse, I believe it's 15, that says now if you don't if you choose to go do things your way, like like Cinderella said, if you choose to have a little G-god or even be a little G-god, which most of us would be more likely to be indicted indicted for than having a little G like bowing down. I'm probably never going to walk in any of your houses and, and see you sneaking away to your idol and bowing before your idol with a candle and chanting. No, we just make ourselves our idols and serve ourselves and worship ourselves and, and pet ourselves and tell ourselves how awesome we are. There's that word. But if you ever choose to make a little G God that goes in front of the Big G God, then all of these things are gonna happen to you. And 16, I think, to 66, which is a ton of verses, are all the curses, which it's always bothered me, like 15 blessings, (laughs) yay, and really awesome. And actually, verse one doesn't even count. I think verse 15 doesn't count, so it's like 13 blessings. And then 60 verses, 50 verses of terrible. And if you read through there, there is like on purpose terrible. And right in the middle of this of God declaring what would happen now please note this is not God cursing people. This is the curse. And this is a huge difference. Just same thing with God doesn't bless you. He's created a way of blessing and if you enter into the blessing then you have the blessing. And then he created a way for there to be a curse. And if you enter into the curse, you get the curse. It's, God's not, you don't get to implicate him for one or the other. That's like saying, I fell down. I'm going to blame God for gravity. No, you fell. You, you fell. Because right next to you falling, Steve standing. And so I don't get to say, well, thank you, God, for not having gravity on me. No. No. Gravity is affecting both of us. It's just your relationship with what that gravity is is going to determine your experience with that gravity. Amen. Amen. And right in the middle of the pronouncement of all of these curses, and some, they're terrible, your, your wombs are going to be dead, people are going to come into your country and, and take you into slavery and tear your babies from your women's wombs and attack and assault your women and and carry them off as slaves and prostitutes. Like these are terrible, terrible curses that God says, please don't do the stupid. And one of the reasons I want to kind of on purpose illuminate this a little bit is because most of us probably think like, well, if I knew that this would turn into a really terrible thing in my life, I just wouldn't do that. Really? Really? <laughs> because all the time I've told people, hey, if you, go, if you keep going this way, it's going to end up this way. Nah, nah, stupid preacher, what do you know? Life. I know a little bit about life. I really know the scriptures, and I'm knowing my father more every day. He knows everything. So maybe when I tell you, consider it but it doesn't bother me when folks hear what I have to say and then they just go and do their own things because I just look at verses like this, like God literally said they're going to kidnap and rape your daughters if you go this way. And you know what they said? Ah, we can go this way. God's just being all scary, trying to keep us out of the bad. No, and it happened, and that's what happened. They spent hundreds of years in slavery having their families decimated, having their lives decimated. And then they would like, God, rescue us. Why are you doing this to us? You know, if I was God. <laughs> thank God, you need to thank God. You need to be grateful <laughs> that Steve Castle is not God. <laughs> Verse 45, right in the middle of all this. So all these curses shall come on you, notice, and pursue you. You know how many people try to run away from it? And this is God speaking. They don't just pursue you. They catch you. you this, these kind of verses bless me because when you look across the world right now, especially America, and we see these evil, wicked, unelected, <laughs> or wrongfully elected, with their satanic ways and their, and their Luciferian ideas, doing all the things that they're doing in our nation. It just makes my, my, my angry juices flow, and I'm like... Come on, AR-15. And obviously that's not a solution. Probably have to delete that. This is how you cancel a YouTube channel. (laughs) Stop it. And these are the kind of verses that keep my heart settled because just because you see the wicked wicked prevailing, just because it looks like they're being successful in their wickedness, it's only for a moment, y'all. It's only for a moment. God is just. (laughs) He is just. You might could hide it from me. You ain't hiding it from him. You might can convince me that you love your spouse while you got a little something on the side. I ain't the one you need to convince. (laughs) God is just both ways. You go and, and cheat life and live it your way and be your own little G God? These curses will come on you and pursue you and overtake you until you're destroyed. And some of the best things that could happen to some people, some of those people you've been praying for, some of your family members, some of your friends or whatever that you've been praying for, one of the best things that could happen to them is for them to be destroyed. I know, that's, that is a hard pill to swallow. But some people, literally, they're so dense, their skulls are so thick, they are so self-righteous, that the only way that they'll ever figure out there's a wall is when if they smack dab into it at 100 miles an hour, face first, and they have to go to the hospital. Then they realize there was a wall there. <laughs> yep, there sure was. And what do we do? We go to the hospital and we love them and we pray for them and we help them heal and we bring them out and we embrace them. Amen? Amen. Amen. You don't get to say I told you so, told you about that wall. No. I know, I've learned this one. It doesn't help. Nobody wants to hear I told you so. Do you wanna hear, anybody wanna hear I told you so when you get to any part? No, okay, so they don't wanna hear it either. Until you're destroyed because you would not obey the Lord your God by keeping his commandments and his statutes which he commanded you. Some of us don't even know because we're not really super hip to the scriptures. I don't need to read the Bible. I'll let Pastor Steve read it for me. We don't even know what he commanded us. We don't know his statutes. And just so you know, you don't get to go and stand in front of your destruction and say, whoa, 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 Lord, not me. I didn't know that was a rule. (laughs) You you don't get to play stupid. It's been written down a long time. Verse 46, and they will become a sign and a wonder against you and your descendants forever. One One of the gravitational aspects of these truths for me is my life is just not for me. I have a son and a daughter. That's just in the natural. I got all y'all, or at least the ones that love me. How I live my life will affect your life. It will affect your future. It'll affect your kids. It'll affect your grandkids. I don't get to just say, well, I feel like... It ain't about me. I don't get to make financial... You know, I actually... Kay and I were just talking about this the other day that one of the revelations you guys know that I was transparent with you a few months ago and telling you that I'm I'm starting to kind of wrap my brain around being a person of prosperity that the Lord has created me to be. He's created me to live in wealth. Deuteronomy 8.18 says that the Lord your God has created you, created you to be wealthy. That power is literally on the inside of you to be wealthy, not have wealthy, be wealthy. So that you can declare his covenant to other people. That's the purpose of it. And I'm I'm embracing this. And one of the things that the Lord said to me the other day, and this is important for all of us, is you need to know your why. You need to know your why. Why? Why, Steve, do you need to embrace the wealth that I've created you for? And I said, well, you know, so I can do good stuff and give money away and be philanthropic, philanthropical, where's Mitchell, (laughs) whatever, look it up. And the Lord was like, yeah, yeah, that's very Christianese of you to say all that. You know, the Lord knows when you're doing that thing. I get it too when people are giving me their Christian answer because they know I'm a pastor. When I just heard him give the answer to the person that's not the pastor like five minutes before, I'm like, oh, okay. How you came up with all that Christian real quick, didn't you? And the cool. Lord said, okay, that's, that's cool. And, and I was saying it authentic. I wasn't making it up because I'd, if you gave me $5 million today, I'd have it spent before I go to bed. And I wouldn't, do, I wouldn't spend a penny on me. Not a penny. I've already got it mapped out, too. I can tell you how, where every dollar goes right now. And so I gave the Lord my, my scripted answer, and he said, you need more why. like, man, I don't know. That's a pretty big why already. And this is something that Jews have a much better mindset of than American Christians. American Christians, everything is about you. Everything is about you. I'm sorry. Welcome to American Christianity. It's what I call churchianity, modern, progressive. You know, we put a cross on it and we call it Jesus. It it doesn't work that way. Because most of our Christian lives, it's 100% about you. We just cover it up with a little bit of Jesus fluff. Jews don't, think that way. Jews think about their grandchildren, their great-grandchildren. And because of it, they make different financial decisions. You win the lottery, not you, you guys are all the good ones. Those terrible people out there, they win the lottery. You know, they're actually worse, financially worse off within seven years if you won $100 million in the lottery, in seven years, statistically, in seven years, you will financially be worse than you were before you won it. Why? Because you, the black hole of self-centeredness, will suck everything out of those winnings until you go into the negative. We think, given our get $20. Give an hour, get $20. Jews think, how can I figure out how to make $20 come into my life every hour, whether I'm giving an hour or not? What business can I create? What, what way of wealth can I build that I don't have to be the one sacrificing self, my time, my effort, my energy to produce that? This is why they own most of the industries. And the Lord said to me, your why has to be better. And so I started thinking about y'all. I started thinking about my children. I want my, my daughter and my son to be financially set up. I want them to have opportunities in their life that I didn't have. There's a couple of you that agree. Otherwise, you know, the common way of thinking for in America is, well, I had to make my own. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps, kids. You start with zero. You'll figure it out. Like, thank God God the Father don't think that way. Amen. Man, there's a, I can go deeper on that. I have to back up. They will become a sign and a wonder against you and your gen- your descendants forever. Some of the things that I'm placing into the generations to come are going to be things that are going to impact folks way beyond my life. And if you're not thinking generationally, you're not thinking like God. Amen. Our forefathers didn't think generationally and now our nation is in, what, $7 trillion or $70 trillion. It's like imaginary numbers. We're in debt until the cows fly over the moon. Verse 47, Since you did not serve the Lord your God with joy and a cheerful heart in gratitude for the abundance of all things. Notice he's not... He's not saying that he's doing this. He's saying that we're doing this. He's just illustrating or giving us the backstory. He's given us the why. Why is important. I can, those of you in here that actually care about your, um, that care about your your weight or your health, your fitness, I can fix it right now. What's your why? If your why is you want to look good in front of a mirror, you ain't never going to lose weight. At some point, you'll just be like, man, this is what I am. I like it. Your why is what will motivate you. I had to have a revelation from God to fix mine. And I also had to repent because gluttony had a lot to do with it. So I had to repent from gluttony, and I had to have a why. So my why is I want to be healthy because I want to be 120 climbing mountains preaching the gospel. So if that means walking four miles every day and, and doing a workout every day and saying no to the 15th piece of pumpkin pie, then so be it. Because I have, I have, I have a better goal. I, I had to have a why. If you're just going to lose weight to lose weight, you ain't going to do it. You'll lose it and you'll gain it. You'll lose it and you'll gain it. Every time you gain it back, you get five with it. It's the worst kind of investment strategy you'll ever have. You had to have a why. God is telling us why. Since you, because you did not serve the Lord your God with joy and a glad heart for the abundance of all things. Here's the why. The after effect is you will serve your enemies. This sounds mean, like, God, what's the middle here? Can I have the gray? I mean, I really don't want to serve you because, I mean, living a godly life, especially in today's world, like it's going to interrupt my TV schedule. But I don't want to be, like, totally satanic. So what's the middle? What's the happy medium? This is what we want, right? We want a little compromise. This is what politics tells us, right? you got to compromise a little bit, so... What's the happy middle? He's saying you either serve me or you serve them. Right. You, you think he'd know. Now it's serve him in joy and, and thankfulness and with a grateful heart. You know, serving God is the best possible life you'll ever ever have. God takes good care of the people that are on his staff. Amen. Amen. His kids get the best. (laughs) Or you can do it your way. And you can go and serve all those things that are tempting you to leave the garden. That's what the enemy did. Come do this. You know, this garden that God made for you, it's probably not all that awesome. I bet you that grass on the other side, Chris just told me this. He said he, uh, someone gave him a statement that said, if if you're aware of the grass being greener on the other side, what you should do is water your own grass. That is a good statement. Amen. Amen. Therefore, you will serve your enemies whom the Lord will send against you in hunger, in thirst, in nakedness, in the lack of all things. And he will put a yoke of iron on your neck until he has destroyed you. I I know, these are the, woo, good news. Thank you for that Bible verse. We, We don't like that in American Christianity right now. You tell someone they're accountable for their own actions, they're like, no, get thee behind me, Satan. I've got grace. I got grace and mercy, I can live however I want and Jesus is just gonna cover it up. Okay, you just keep on adulterating, prostituting the grace of God. We'll see how that turns out. God's not totally okay with us prostituting his things. Blessings are manifest in thankfulness and curses are actuated by ingratitude. Joy and a cheerful heart are expressions of gratitude. Joy and a cheerful heart are expressions of gratitude. The reverse is equally true. If you're having a bad day, if you're having a bad life, a bad month, if you're sucking lemons and you're always that person, like things never work out for you. The reverse is true. It is is showing you, these these are indicators that you should pick up in your life that things are not right. If you are ungrateful for the life that you have, you should use that as a penalty flag in your own life and say, okay, something's not right. Because if nothing else, Jesus loves me. If nothing else, if all you got, is Jesus loves you. Is that not enough? If a thousand fall at your side and 10,000 at your right hand, and it's just you and Jesus standing there, if God before you and and the whole world against you, is that enough for you or not? For me, it is. And I had to come face to face with this not that long ago because it seemed like the whole world was against me. And I had to like, Lord, hello, you there? I'm there. All right, me and you. I'm okay with being Jesus. Amen. What I'm not okay with is getting the whole world and not having Jesus. If redeemed people do not serve God in gratitude and joy, they will be enslaved by their enemies in misery. Ingratitude spoils what you have. Please hear this statement, ingratitude spoils what you have. What you now have, you once did not have. So ingratitude equally spoils what you do not yet have as well. I know that's kind of deep, but it's true. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use my own life as an example. I'll pick on me. When I lost the gratefulness, the gratitude that I had for Kay in our marriage, it spoiled my marriage. It spoiled it. I lost what I had. And if I would have continued down that road, my ingratitude, my dishonoring, of what God had given me in Kay and in our marriage would have eventually led me to go get the next marriage that was already pre-spoiled because I took me and my attitude into that next relationship. Now translate this into your thing. If you are ungrateful for what you have, ingratitude spoils what you have and you'll lose it, and you already pre-spoiled the thing that you don't have yet. Gratitude energizes obedience. Some of you who are hip to your Bible might know the word Shema. in in Judaism, the Shema, which comes from Deuteronomy chapter six, verse I think four, five, and six is the Shema. And it's called the Shema because the first word in that that little mini uh, blessing basically is what it is, is the word Shema. And if you look it up in your Bible, it starts off with, hear, O Israel. The Lord your God is one God. And that word at the very beginning, hear, is the word Shema, Here. And it's now this whole uh, dissertation is called the Shema. And if you grew up in, an, in a Jewish home, you heard the Shema every morning and every night. The Shemal was things that people said on their deathbed. They would say, hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one God. They, they put their hope in the fact that God, they were serving God, that this was the God, he was their God, they were, he was one God. They, they didn't make a mistake and serve the wrong God. There's one God, and it's our God. Hear, O Israel. So here, beloved, you have a God, one God. And that word shema here is also translated listen. So here's something that's interesting. There is no word in Hebrew for obey. All they have is shema. Because what God believes is that if you hear him, it will already have the obey with it. All the parents in the room, you understand what I'm saying? Because yeah. when you tell your kid, go make your bet, Gunner, go make your bet, and he doesn't move, what's your next statement? Did you hear me? <laughs> and, and then they're like, no, of course I didn't hear you. <laughs> Why do you say, did you hear me? Because you're insinuating that if you heard me, that you would do. Right. God actually invented that. If you actually heard God, you'd do it. Because if he's really God, and he's your God, and you know he said it, then you'd do it. He even believed this before 2022 got here. And I I know that most people want to, but we don't anymore. Because we put God on the same level as that boss that we don't like. So I ain't going to listen to him. And that parent that we don't like, I'm not going to listen to them. And that, and that minister I don't like, totally ain't going to listen to him. I'm going to listen to me. And so I'll weigh out what I'm going to listen slash obey. The problem is, is that the enemy has a voice that comes into your head too. Sounds just like you. Amen. Has the enemy, anybody besides me, has the enemy ever talked to you in your voice? Steve, you know what you should do? That sounds just like me. What should I do? You should go over there and do bad stuff. Well, okay, self, whatever you say. That's why Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice, the voice of a stranger they won't follow. You should make your voice strange to you. Colossians chapter three, verse 14. And over all these virtues, put on love, which is the bond of perfect unity. Verse 15, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. For to this you were called as members of one body, and be thankful. Please note in that verse, let the peace of Christ, but be thankful. Jesus brings peace, you could say it this way, this is not perfect doctrine so don't get carried away but it would be like peace is something that comes to you from the outside and offers itself to you. And you allow it. You open the gates of your life and your heart and peace comes in. But thankfulness is a bee. That's you. This isn't something that comes and offers itself to you. Gratitude doesn't come and offer itself to you. You have to choose gratitude, you have to choose thankfulness. You receive peace, but you choose grateful. Amen. Amen. Verse 16, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you as you teach and admonish one another. <sighs> yeah, I know they have a different church than most churches today. They actually teach and admonish one another in their church. Teach and admonish one another in all wisdom. And as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, with gratitude in your hearts to God. He's, he's making a very subtle reference back to what Bob used, which is also what I sent out on the Thursday email that you all read, Amen. Amen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> to Psalm 100, which is, we enter into His gates with thanksgiving into our heart, but we enter into His courts with praise. People who have never really, truly, from their heart, praised, or have been thankful. Those are the people that have never really actually experienced the presence of God. And they get, they wonder why you're all weird about this stuff. Why are you so wheels off, hair on fire for Jesus? Just be normal. Because they've never tasted and seen that good presence of God. Just one sip from the well of the water of life and you will never thirst anything else. And people have never experienced this because they've never truly gone into the gates with actual gratitude. They're just saying thankful, they're just saying thank you because they're told to. Like your mom, somebody gives you a Christmas present, right, what are you supposed to do? Did you say thank you? Yeah, thank you always wanted socks. That's how we do God. Thank you. Glad Jesus died. So we've never truly entered into the gates with actual thanksgiving in our heart. Maybe thanksgiving in our head. Okay, my life could have been worse. Thanks for the good stuff. But then even getting into the courts. The courts is is that inner part with praise actual praise praise is like thanksgiving on steroids thanksgiving is, is just a just a heart of gratitude it, it's it's you're really really thankful for the things that you have I, i'm incredibly grateful for the for the life that i have the people that i have i mean every time like i'm like a school kid trying to on, I just told the prayer circle like Saturday night now I, I guess I just get two, three hours of sleep because I want to be here with y'all and and see you and hug you and kiss you and and tolerate some of you. and you and you me, I get it I, I know I, we're, we're, we're still working on our relationships. I want to be here because I'm grateful for you. I remember when I had a bad church. With a few good people, <laughs> amen, I don't want to. <laughs> because there was a time it was a bad church. We had some good people and a bad church. Now we have a great church and a few bad people. <laughs> I'm okay with that. I'm totally okay. I'm grateful for that because I remember when it wasn't that way. We went five years without a paycheck. That wasn't awesome. I'm grateful for a paycheck. Some of you would see my paycheck and you wouldn't be very grateful. I'm grateful for it because I didn't have it. I'm grateful for it. Very grateful for it. I'm grateful for the fact that there's people, Kay and I are going to uh, Germany in uh, January. We're going to Germany. They invited me to go and preach this radical gospel that has a lot to do with freedom and liberty in Germany. Pray amen. They're going to they're gonna have an awakening in Germany. Amen. Awesome. I'm, I'm blessed. I'm incredibly thankful that people in Germany, and these are some, some up de do people, that they want to hear me. There's been times in my life I didn't want to hear me. <laughs> Amen. They want to hear me. I'm grateful for that. The... And whatever you do, in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Notice, do has two really important components. Word, deed. You can't have do without word and deed. This is why salvation is confessed with the mouth and believed in the heart. You gotta have word and deed. And you'll get this better when you, when you think back on all those people, like when you're in high school, I love you forever, we're gonna be forever, me and you forever. Right, That was our word when we were in high school. We passed notes one another. You're going to be my girlfriend forever. And then Tuesday comes, and that's the end of forever. <laughs> right? Because now you got another girl. And you, you can actually just take the same note and take it back and grace the name and put, I love you forever. <laughs> Words. Words by themselves mean nothing. <laughs> they... they they tell you how much they love you. I appreciate you. You're my favorite person ever. I have so much value for you. I just, I just really want to hug you and see if I can find that exact perfect place for the dagger right there. That's it. Yep. you feel it? Yeah, I feel it. It's right there. You, words by themselves with no congruent action, with no, with no unity in what you do. Words are actually worse. When a person tells you they love you and then they betray you, that's, that's twice as bad. I'd rather just have people betray me. Just give me a snarky look, right? Kind of hate on me with your words and then go betray me. I'm totally expecting that. Obviously, they don't like me. They're going to go do terrible stuff. I get it. But when you're like, hey, I love you, brother, <laughs> right? Yeah. And then they go and do the thing. Yeah. Yeah. When word and deed aren't together, when they're not congruent, when they're not in unity, it's not real. Because you can do the other thing too. You can do the action. But if your words belie the action, Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about because you've experienced this. Jesus was the word and he was the expressed image of the father. He was both. His actions and his words, perfect unity. This is why it would be incumbent upon some of us to just draw back on some of our words until we get our words and our actions to be congruent. in 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 these four verses, one of the things that you're picking up, if you go back over it in your own time, what you'll notice is that love, peace, and maturity, they are all tied in in these verses twice to gratitude. Some of the reasons that love And peace and maturity might not be working in some of our lives is because we're not truly grateful. And I would definitely say this, that maturity for a fact, the more mature someone becomes in Christ, the more you will recognize that they are a very grateful person. Because the deeper your revelation of his love and his goodness and his grace and his mercy that's bestowed in your life, not because of you, but because of him, the more authentically grateful that person becomes. You can tell by the gratitude that is in a person's life, how mature they are. Amen. You guys are loving this, aren't you? Favorite message ever. (laughs) Whatever. Colossians 2. So we're backing up a chapter. So I want you to think about this in order. Verses 6 and 7. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. This is one of the ones that I quote all the time. The way you receive Jesus is the way that you walk in Jesus. Rooted and built up in him and established in the faith. As you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. You walking successfully in the faith, which is A biblical concept, when it says the faith, it's literally talking about the entire life that we were created to live. It's not just talking like, did you believe God for mortgage money? It's talking about the faith. What is the entire belief structure of your life? The way that you abound in the faith, your faith life, The way you live out what you believe is able to abound through thanksgiving. Which is why some folks struggle in their faith walk. Because they're just not grateful for it. They're not thankful for what they have. You know how many people weren't grateful for Jesus? when he was walking the earth, teaching the pure, perfect doctrines of heaven, offering eternal life, offering healing, raising the dead, redeeming people from demonic oppression and depression. And people were angry and rejected him and they believed that they were justified in doing so. If people can reject the actual person of God standing in front of them, don't you know? They can reject anything else that's good and complain about it when it comes. As a person who spent a bunch of years in the restaurant business, I can tell you about some of these professional complainers because there are people that I actually went up to a table, this actually did this multiple times. Uh, I'm not really proud of it right now, but whatever. Part of my history, we'll just, that's the old dead Steve. But there's times that I walked up to tables in my restaurants that I literally took the food off their tables and I said, we will never satisfy you. You can leave. You don't have to pay for nothing. Thanks for coming. And obviously that didn't satisfy them. <laughs> but I was at the end of my attempt. You know, when you cooked their steak four times, when I threw four steaks away, trying to get your steak right. It ain't gonna get right. You need to go home and cook your own, and even then you're not mad, you're not happy with it. <laughs> when I cooked your eggs three times, and they're still too hard, too soft, too white, too yellow, too whatever, we're, we're done. <laughs> You'll never be satisfied, and really, honestly, some people in their spiritual life, they're just never gonna be satisfied. God can do, there's nothing that God could do for you that you'd be like, okay, well, thank you, Jesus. Now I can just serve you with a joyful, grateful heart because you did the thing. Once God jumps through one of your hoops, well, then we just stick a bigger hoop. And then He's got to jump through that hoop and then a bigger hoop. And the rest of our life is God jumping through higher and bigger hoops. What if God's not your dog? What if he's not your genie in a bottle? The way we walk into salvation is the same way that we walk in salvation. You know how you walked into salvation? You recognized you needed it. You were a terrible person. Some of you might not even be there yet. Some of you are like, well, when I got saved, like heaven got better because they got me. Not true for me. I recognize the fact, like Paul said, of sinners I was chiefest. I recognize my filth, the disgustingness, my own, my own wallowing as a pig returns to the, to the mire and as a dog returns to its own vomit. I had seen myself over and over and over going back to the same garbage. And so when I got redeemed, when I got rescued, when I got set free, I recognize that God did not get any benefit from this deal. I am the total beneficiary. He was the one that paid for it. And if that's all I get, I'm okay with that. When Kay and I moved here, we made an oath to one another. If we got to live under a bridge with our kids in a tent, and serve God, it's worth it. Some of the reason that I, we went through poverty in our family was because of that attitude. So there's a balance there. I'm not saying that's good. Because if you say, God, I'll live in a bridge and just for you, I'm, the enemy will <laughs> he'll honor your prayer. But the, the attitude of, I don't care. I don't need the stuff anymore. I had the stuff, I had the seven houses, the boats, the cars, the money, the, the title, the name tag. Had it all, and, it, and my life was worse at that moment than it was near us nearly in total poverty here serving God, because at least we were doing what we were called to do. To be a doorkeeper in the house of God is better than being a king of a nation without God. As thanksgiving abounds, so does faith. It is hard to be a person of doubt and a person of gratitude at the same time. Expressed gratitude is a measurement equivalent to your life in the faith. If you want to take your temperature on where you are at in the faith, Use the thermometer of gratitude. That'll tell you where you're at. Hopefully you're above freezing. Amen. stay in here, we'll warm you up. We'll jump around and be gratitude. Pastor Craig will run around the building and you'll be like that guy. What's he got to be happy about? Maybe you should ask him. For real. I bet you he'll tell you. Yeah. Well, I'm not gonna do that. I know, I know. He's got more going on. He's grateful for more. Some of us don't have any problem taking our shirts off, painting ourselves green, going to Green Bay, 10 below, and showing off for the backers. I I know that's nobody in here. Some people in this world, some people in this world would consider that normal. That's totally normal. But then somebody running around in church because they're free to run? That is weird. I'm not going to that weird church. Right, so you'll go to the weird Lambeau Stadium. Got it. John chapter five. Jesus said, these are letters in red, I do not. Receive honor from men. This still breaks my heart when I read this. This is at, this is in the middle of Jesus' ministry. So he'd spent 30 years as the incarnate Christ, and then about a year and a half, maybe two years, operating in his messianic calling, and he gets to this stage, and he says, I do not receive honor from men. It doesn't. It's not just singularly like he's rejecting when men are bringing him honor. That's not what he's saying. He's saying that men are actually not even bringing him honor, and he's got disciples, y'all. Amen. Any of you that are discipling, this should bless you. <laughs> People don't really honor what's honorable. You know what you honor? Hollywood. That's what we honor. We honor Hollywood, we honor money. If you got popularity and you got and you got social media fans and if you if you got brand, you know, we we live in a brand society. You got to have your brand. And it's on your clothes and it's and it's on your stickers and it's Our brands, that, that's what we honor, that's what we give our money to, that's what we give our affection to, that's what we give our praise to. I, 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 was, we, uh, I took Kate to, what's the store in Freeport? The new one. Uh, Marshalls, Marshalls, Marshalls. I took Kate to Marshalls and made her shop. Literally, I had to make her, she didn't wanna go. I'm like, I'm forcing you to go shop. She's fine. So while we're in Marshalls, I decided to go look at the guy's stuff, and it's like every shirt. It's every shirt has to have the thing that you're promoting. It has to have the person, you know, Tommy Hilfiger. I'm not good at this stuff, so don't get mad at me. But every one of them had to have somebody's name on it, somebody's image, somebody's thing. You had to exalt someone with your clothes. You can't just have clothes. You have to promote a person. You have to raise up, exalt, honor somebody or something. Even, you know, Chevy, Ford. It's got to be something. You can't just have clothes that don't say something because we've learned in our society that our responsibility is to be walking billboards. They get us to advertise for them for free. They don't even pay you for it. Like, at least send me a check. Amen. Okay, now don't look. Some of these are good, though. I do not receive honor from men. Right. But I know you, that you do not have the love of God in you. Notice that love and honor go together. This is why Ephesians 5 says that you cannot that wives are required to honor their husbands and husbands are required to honor their wives. Our husbands are required to love their wives. Honor comes more natural to a man, love comes more natural to a woman. So God asks you to do the thing that comes unnatural. Which means you have to have Christ. Jesus did not have honor or love. Now, I know that we're thinking like, well, if I would have been there, I'd have honored him and loved him. Come on now. Are you saying that you're the only person in existence that would have been there and would have done it right? I recognize, I can see this and I'm saying, so what this means is, is that if I was a disciple of Jesus, physically walking with him, I probably would not have loved him or honored him the way that he, was, he needed to be. If you can't say that you're not humble. I can say that. I recognize the fact. I struggle, there's times I struggle with it now. I know you're way more holy than me. You don't. You're you have perfect honor for God and perfect love for God. You just float down with your angel wings and we're all just sitting in your glisten trail. But for me, there's times I struggle with this. There's times that things are pulling me, my mentality and my emotions get me and I get the the Fs of the feels and the Fs of the fears that come after me and I have to on purpose say, no, I'm gonna honor God. No, I'm going to on purpose live in a love relationship with God. And the world screams for your love and your honor and all these other ways. And you have to choose on purpose to honor and love the way that God wants to be honored and loved, not the way you want to do it. This is why a lot of relationships fail. It's because I'm loving Kay the way I want to love her. That's not the call. The call is for me to love her the way she wants to be loved. (laughs) And most guys don't even ask their wives, how would you like me to love you, honey? And for all the gals that you're getting a little bit righteous, go the other way too. Ask your man how they want to be honored. Because it's probably not you making fun of them at Thanksgiving dinner because you broke the toaster when you tried to fix it. That ain't honor. It ain't honor. Ask him what honor looks like. Ask her what love looks like. Ask God what love and honor looks like to him so you can offer him what he wants, not what you're just trying to give him. I have come in my Father's name, verse 43, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, him you will receive. Verse 44, how can you believe? Now this is God asking a question. How can you believe who receive honor from one another and do not seek the honor that comes from only God? Now you know what most people's faith problems are. We, most of us in here, if I took a survey and I said, would you rather be honored by so-and-so, such-and-such, or would you rather have God be pleased with you and honor you? And if you were absolutely honest, we know what the answer would be. You can tell. Look at the way we live our lives. It's not to honor God. It's not to please God. You cannot honor someone you are not grateful for. And you cannot be grateful for someone without honoring them. Amen. I know what marriages are doing good and what marriages are not doing good based upon that fact. It is confusing to Jesus for people to seek human honor and not God's honor. I'll end with this. There's a French novelist, his name is Colette. And he said, what a wonderful life I have had. I only wish I had realized it sooner. So I'm in, a, I'm in a place that probably I'm in a minority place, which is I recognize that I have a great life right now. I'm grateful for what Jesus has done for me. I'm grateful to be a part of this church, not the pastor of this church, a part of this church. I'm honored, I'm grateful that God lets me minister. I'm grateful that people actually want to hear me minister. I'm grateful that I have a beautiful family, a beautiful church family, that I got food, so much so I have to Pray for not eating at all. And if you, if you just stopped and you did this and you took inventory just of the basics, you will find out that any ingratitude in you has gotten there illegally. It's a trespasser. And if you need help, come to me. I'll help you. I'll tell you some of the things about your spouse that I love about them. <laughs> I'll tell you some of the things about this church that I love about it. I can tell you some of the things about Jesus that I love about him. All right, I will bless you now.